Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 34 of the Banish to the Pen podcast. The only the audio component of the website, Banish to the Pen, a spin-off baseball blog of fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am very excited to have two returning members of the Banish to the Pen crew and uh, two very solid contributors to the website as well. I've got Nick Koss with me and I've got Scott Kushner. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thank nice you. To Good be to be back. back. Well, I'm glad to have you guys back. As I said, you guys are big and uh, loyal contributors to the show, and, and we've had you on the podcast before. Uh, that said, we start the same way every week. Uh, have you guys introduce yourselves to the audience, you know, Twitter, what you guys do for a day job, basically whatever you want to share. So um, let me start alphabetically. Let me go with Nick this week. So, uh, Nick, introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, so I am a junior marketing and finance student at Northeastern University in Boston. Um, you can find me online at Twitter at costaboss 34 And um still a big Red Sox fan. And, you know, <clears throat> homestand's over. Got to see a few games. So definitely looking forward to hopefully a very productive offseason. Yeah, that's going to be a busy offseason in Boston, that's for sure. Um, we should probably, if, if we got time, touch on that one, but we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, Scott, kind of same question. Introduce yourself and all that good stuff. Sure. Um, so my name is Scott Kushner. I am a, uh, a, a head baseball coach at a small Division three school in New Jersey, Centenary College. Uh, I grew up in California, so I'm an Oakland A's fan. So another, another miserable uh, season uh, to, to discuss if we want to really, uh, you know, cry about red Sox and, and a's this year um but uh but yeah so uh i you can find me on twitter sl underscore kush k-u-s-h uh, or you can follow my team's twitter account at cc baseball i love having the gents coach on it's so great i love that nickname too uh well and actually and uh i'm sorry to correct you we are the centenary cyclones in New Jersey, there are the centenary gentlemen or gents in Louisiana. Oh no! N- don't worry, don't worry about it. It gets confused all the time. Uh, that centenary actually used to be a Division One school. They're a Division Three now. So when I first got the job, they were playing, you know, Mississippi State and you know Florida State and all that kind of stuff. And every once in a while, I'd get a call or a contract from one of these, you know, top twenty-five baseball schools. I look to play, uh, you know. Game set. I'd love to go to Florida, but I'm not to get embarrassed that badly. You're like, I'm not so quite d- the guy you're looking for, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although they were, they were willing to pay us to go there, so I, I could have probably taken them up on it. Yeah, probably just showed up and been like, yeah, hey, that's what's right. up? Nobody man? would have been the wiser. <laughs> you know, just like Sandlot pickup ball. Hey, guys, we're here to play ball. No problem. Yeah, we're here. Hey, we're Centenary. It says it on the jersey. That's right. <laughs> so. Uh, well, I am glad to have you back. Uh, remind everybody, I, I know I've had you on since the season ended, but how'd you guys do this year? Uh, it was kind of mixed bag for us. We finished with our best record in the years that I've been um, But we were, you know, we had really high hopes, and so we finished just a few games above 500, uh, qualified for a postseason play um, in what's called the ECAC tournament, but uh, we were knocked out in a come-from-ahead loss 
in the, in the tournament. So that was kind of how we finished the season. But we did end up with uh, our first All-American and uh, the player of the year in the conference, our, our first baseman. So we were pretty proud of that. Oh, all right. Well, we'll take that, you know, overall. Yeah. That's a solid season, something to build off. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, all right. Let's... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying congrats. Sounds like, sounds like the program's trending in the right direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of what we've been accomplishing. So we're, we're working hard now. We're, we're in fall ball for the new season. So lots of, lots of young guys that we have to mold into uh, better ball players. So uh, if I can transition off that a little bit, and that was maybe the worst transition in the history of the world. Uh, <laughs> today in baseball, we had kind of a uh, event happen somewhat near and dear to my heart. I'm a Nats fan, as most people who know uh, and listen to this podcast. And um, eighth inning, I think it was the bottom of, uh, Bryce Harper flies out, hits a pop-up, shows some frustration, doesn't necessarily run out the baseball. Jonathan Papelbon decides that uh, he has an issue with the effort level shown. Next thing you know, we have a, a, a pretty good fight, frankly, between Harper and Papelbon in the dugout in the middle of the of the baseball game. Um, and maybe I'll give it to Nick, just kind of the first year thoughts on, on what you saw and, and did I miss anything and so forth. Um, what I saw was, I mean, that's – there aren't too many things you're going to see on a baseball field that beats what happened. I mean, a, one teammate choking out another, that's, uh, I guess just my initial thought to it was, why is the guy who's been in Washington only two months attacking the should-be NL MVP allegedly over, I think it was not running out of easy easy out easy fly ball but i mean uh i guess papel i guess it's just why papel bond why yeah before i start digging into questions for you guys uh kind of scott same thing just it's just kind of your initial thoughts on the uh on the incident well uh you know at first blush, it definitely seems like a, a major overreaction or just a overstepping of the line for Papelbon. And, and um, you know, whether whether Harper was kind of dogging it or not, it, it seems like Papelbon was, was out of line and, and calling him out and certainly letting it get physical. Um, I think that to, to Nick's point of, you know, why Papelbon, I, I try and try and look at this from from a couple of different perspectives and, and everything that we see in video or, or kind of the replays and that sort of stuff looks like Papelbon is, is the villain here. And, and I, I agree that he is, but uh, I think there's also that possibility that Harper is, you know, the, I mean, he is the nationals golden boy. He is maybe major league baseball's golden boy at the moment uh, with just, you know, his talent and the hype that has surrounded him. Uh, and, and early in his career, he was, he was, you know, roundly criticized for kind of how he approached the game. And it seemed like he's maybe matured beyond that. But I think it's also possible that he's, he might just kind of be above uh, uh, reproach now on the nationals. And, and I don't, I don't know, I'm speculating here, but is it, is it possible that here he has finally arrived that he's starting to live up to the hype, put it together an MVP type season. And, and, and yet the nationals are having a, a pretty dismal year. Is it the kind of thing where everybody in the Nationals clubhouse, maybe even including Matt Williams, is reluctant to challenge Harper on some things and Papelbon kind of himself as Harper here and decided that, you know what, 
Um, I know I'm the new guy, but I have, you know, championship uh, experience and I'm a veteran and so I should be respected and I, or, or he just doesn't care. It's all seems like a, a powerful mindset and he's upon himself to challenge Harper something that he perceived, uh, you know, against the, the ever uh, unwritten rules of baseball. Yeah, and, and but I do want to, and you brought up unwritten rules of baseball, and I think that's a perfect segue for me to talk about. Is why does it seem like so many people want to take shots at Harper about the unwritten rules? It seems like you know so many teams want to hit him because I, I don't know, but he gets beaned an awful lot. And it, this instance now with now running out of baseball, I mean, let's be honest, there are a lot of other players that don't run out of pop fly. Why does it seem like Harper is the lightning rod and and? It, maybe I'll throw it to both of you guys. It, it, I don't, you know, it's just kind of a question to me. I'm so close to it. Is wh- why does it seem like he is the lightning rod for everybody criticizing him? Um, I mean, I guess my initial response to that is, I mean, he had a SI cover when he was 16. He's 22 years old, and he's the MVP of the NL. So, guess it's just. He, so that was my initial response was. Young guy, super successful, so he's going to have the spotlight on him and he's going to have the target on his back. But even then, it's just, you know, I guess whenever I see anything that opponents might perceive as, you know, disrespectful or violent and unruly, I guess I just see a guy who enjoys playing baseball and enjoys being 22 and being able to be better than guys that are 10 years older than him. So, I mean, just from a person who's very outside of it, I don't follow Bryce Harper or the Nationals too closely on a daily basis. I guess that would just be my initial reaction to it. Uh, What do you think, Scott? Yeah, no, I I think that, I think age plays a big part of this. I mean, how, how Harper arrived at where he is now you know, so much, so fast, uh, just a completely different level of, of, of hype from well before he was on, a, you know, any professional organization. Um, he, he took a different path. He created a persona and a hype for himself or, or you know, maybe blame agents or whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's under a microscope. Any, any superstar is under a mi- microscope, but anybody who's gone the path that he's gone, um, who had so much hype heading into it, uh, they're they're gonna have that, and then you you tack on the fact that his personality and the way he plays the game, it can rub people the wrong way, or I mean not to the extent that maybe like a Yasel Puig, but I think especially early in his career, I mean he was getting a lot of flack for how he played the game, uh, and I think there's there's just I mean, take step away from baseball for a moment. I think there's a general and and natural uh, reaction of any generation to kind of want to beat down the generation that follows them, right? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 normal, you know. You know, music today stinks. Music in our generation, now that was some music, you know. I mean, how many? It doesn't matter right. what generation you're talking about. It's always the younger guys need to be taught a lesson, and the older guys are the ones who are going to teach that lesson. So in this case, I mean, I don't know how many years Papa Bond's been in the league, but he's been around for a while. And um, that in this particular instance, it was an older guy stepping to a younger guy. But I think Harper in general is he's that next generation he is that you know it's what you want to call it flash you want to call it swag i hate that term by the way but you want to call it whatever you want uh it's it's something that maybe didn't exist 
10, 15 years ago, at least not to the extent that it did. And, and so some guys are going to take offense to that no matter how the intentions of Harper were, and, um, you know, he's under a microscope. And if I can interrupt you, Scott, I'm sorry, but, it, you know, Papelbon was accused of doing this with Manny Machado uh, just a few days ago, you know, trying to hit him, and most people were pretty convinced he was trying to hit him for pimping that home run, you know, a couple innings earlier. And so to your point, I think maybe there is something to what you're saying about, you know, Papelbon's the older guard, so to speak, although, God, he's mm-hmm. 34 years old or whatever he is. To think that he's the old guard is a little scary. <laughs> But uh, I think maybe Scott's onto something with that. So, um, yeah, two incident, I mean, but I'm two just incidents in a week that... is, you know, just kind of a little odd. But go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just I was just gonna say I'm just glad that whenever the older generation tries to teach me a lesson, I don't get a 95 mile per hour fastball towards my head. So, <laughs> but it's just, and I think this might be, this might just be something I guess to keep an eye on, seeing. As 2015, you have a lot of young guys, you know, being called up, stepping into full-time major league roles. Um, you know, over the next few years, do you see maybe some more tension just league-wide than you're used to because you have this huge sudden influx of young players that have to, I guess, quote, learn how to play the game the right way. So. Well, and that's, that's a phenomenal point. You know, with with PEDs out of the game right now, you're seeing younger and younger players getting in earlier and then, you know, getting more experience, you know, with guys like Scott and even at the younger age. It's that's a great point. There is not as many veterans, you know, to show them how to play the game. I think that Scott, kind of your thoughts, too. I think that's a great point. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is this is a I mean, if ever there was a year of the youth movement, it's this one with you know, the, the call ups being just instantly good instantly good um and and harper harper's a old vet at 22 and trout of course doing what he just continues to do year after year in the al um there is a a definite youth movement and and i i don't think that it's unprecedented for older players to 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 try and teach lessons i mean i even think of i I believe it was uh i want to say like vicente padilla several years ago and kind of in his as he was his career was fading. He just he was like the goon on whatever team he was playing on. I think he got moved around a lot, if I recall. And, and he would just go out there and just drill people. And that was kind of his thing. Like, all right, I, I have no shame. I'm going to stick around the league as long as possible, and I'm going to go do the dirty work that you know people are, that are younger or, or or you know maybe have a reputation to uphold uh, don't want to do. And so. Uh, I think that there is that sentiment, and I don't know that there's many guys that are like that. I'm sure that some of the other veterans are don't don't handle it the same way as a guy like Papelbon would, but um, but no, I, I think that is a, certainly a natural impulse. I mean, if you want to break it down to you know these guys are fighting for their livelihood, so you know they see younger talent that is pushing them out, and so they're gonna push back. Um, Scott, let me, and I hate to do this because I'm, I'm trying to put you in a position that you're not in, but, uh, I do want to try to use your experience as a manager just to reflect on the situation. So, so now that the game's over with, how do you, if you're in Matt Williams shoes, how do you try to resolve this situation? I mean, there's six, seven games left in the season. Harper's your superstar. I, I think we've established that, but Papelbon's under contract for next year. You traded a pretty good prospect to bring him in, uh, <laughs> what do you do if you're Matt Williams? I mean, in all seriousness. 
Well, well, Matt Williams' shoes are, are not pleasant ones to be in. <clears throat> you know, prior to this fight, it probably wasn't a very good position to be in. Um, I, I think that you know, let's let's take Matt Williams' status as the manager. And because uh, I want to ask you about that part of it as well, so please let's take it out of it for the yeah. second. Yeah, let's please. take it out for right now. I think I think if you're if you're dealing with these two players who are both under contract, um, both of whom have you know household name status in, in different you know stages of their career, obviously, um, I, I think what, what's important would be important to me is to be able to sit down with each guy and kind of get his side of what what transpired. Um, and then depending on how those conversations go and, and how much they, you know, c- connect and, and are on the same page or how much they vary, uh, you know, you try and get to where both guys can be in the same room with you at the same time and say, hey, you know, this is what I think happened based on what you guys are telling me. And this is what should have happened. And this is what shouldn't have happened. And, and you know, you, you try and get them to patch up. You know, I mean, the, the beauty of, of professional baseball, I can't speak to necessarily, is that these guys are professionals, Right. Um, there can be bad blood. There can be, um, you know, conflict, and they should be able to put that behind them and go forward with their jobs. You know, preparing for themselves. And obviously, Papabon did not have a very good inning after this uh, kerfuffle. But um, you'd like to think that it won't affect them on the next day. Uh, but long term speaking, fortunately for Matt Williams, they only have a week left together. And and then you have an off season where you know if you're going to move somebody, I think Papelbon's the clear person you'd try to move. Um, and I mean, you only have one year of contract, and and he, you know, statistically speaking, he's had a a, a good year overall. Um, so it's not like he there won't be a demand for him, though it, you probably won't get quite what you normally would get if they if other teams know there's bad blood and that you're kind of in a desperate spot to move. Now, the other question I want, and now let's take Matt Williams back into the situation, if we can, and his status. Right. Does this situation say something about how he's handling the clubhouse and where the clubhouse is at? I mean, some of it's unfair. I mean, they just got eliminated from the playoffs yes, or the playoff race yesterday. They've woefully underachieved this year. I think everybody would admit that. That said, is this a sign of a bigger problem and a reason that, I mean, is this kind of the straw that should break the back of keeping him uh, next year? It, it, you know, it, I'm I'm as a as a coach, I'm very reluctant to just heap it all on the manager's shoulders, just because I do know that these are these are uh, individuals who can act on their own. I mean, for all we know, the the clubhouse is great, but Papabon is a you know he's he's a, a lone gunman, and as it were, or somebody um, was having a bad but, day. I mean, we've all yeah you yeah know, exactly. So. Um, but but I think I think it sounds like it is something that should be should be handled at the larger basis. I actually. Um, I guess Papelbon did issue an apology and said that this is something that should be handled from the team's perspective, and and Matt Williams is the one that should be doing that, not not Papelbon. That's those are Papelbon's words, um, and I think that's that's you know it's tough to, to, to discern tone from text, but it almost seems like Papelbon might be throwing Williams under the bus. Like, yeah, I I said what needed to be said, but it should have been said by the manager. And hmm. he was derelict in his duties. So I stepped up to the plate and, you know, shouldn't have handled it that way, but somebody should have, and that person was Matt Williams. That's so, interesting. I didn't uh, get that take from that quote. That's interesting. It, it, <laughs> again, it's maybe that's not how he meant it, but, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the message certainly was someone should have talked to Harper. That person is the, is the manager. 
it probably should have happened after the game. I think there's maybe the out for Matt Williams that should have happened after the game. But, you know, you also wonder, I mean, do you go right to, to you know, pushing and shoving on a first incident? Or is this the kind of thing that Papelbon, you know, he's new to the team. He's trying to help them get into the playoffs. He's been to the you know World Series and won a World Series before. And he sees a manager, uh, again, hypothetically, he sees a manager that's letting the young superstar kind of run roughshod over over the, the clubhouse or, or even on the field in terms of effort or, or attitude or whatever. And he says, wow, I can't believe that he's letting this go unchecked. I'm going to check him. Well, and, so. and or just another take on the same idea. This team has been, you know, they play soft. They, they don't play with the toughness they should. Maybe that's same idea. Hey, you know, I'm right. going to bring a little bit of an edge to the team. So, right. Hey, Nick, yeah. I got and- Nick, I want you to jump in here. Yeah, you've been uh, we've been keeping you a little. <laughs> no, I mean here. it's yeah. been great stuff. Um, just I guess my thing is to kind of build off of Scott's point about the Pale Bonds quote after the game. If that is how he feels, um, and he just doesn't respect Matt Williams as a manager in the job he's doing, if you're Matt Williams, how can then you approach it and solve it like Scott suggested, knowing when Pale Bond knows? In a week, Matt Williams won't be his manager anymore, one way or the other. So, you know, it's just, that's kind of an interesting perspective on it, too, because I think at this point, everyone just kind of knows that once this week's over, Matt Williams is seems to be gone. Yeah, can I, can, let me jump in, I'm sorry to, to do that, but do you guys think it's a foregone conclusion that Papelbon has to go? Uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, who knows how this all shakes out? Um, and, and almost, almost if Matt Williams goes, that might improve the chances of Papelbon remaining on the team. Like if if Matt Williams really is part of the problem here, um, and and Papelbon felt like he had to to play that role that Matt Williams should have had, uh, then maybe you get somebody in in who's more of a taskmaster. And Papelbon doesn't need to be that, um, and and maybe Harper and, and Papelbon kind of patch things up. I, I I don't put it past you know grown men who are professionals to be able to do that, uh, but on the surface, you know, a couple hours after the fact, it certainly looks bad. Um, I think in terms of Papelbon going, I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion, but I think at this point, if the Nationals get a half decent offer, they would be investigated very closely, be willing to obviously negotiate exactly what prospects come back. So I think for me, today's instant took it from, would be mildly surprised if he's traded. Because again, like Ryan mentioned, they gave up a couple of good prospects for him in July to now where, you know, one way or the other, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, and, and the other elephant in the room is, you know, Drew Storen is in the last year of his contract. He punched a wall or his locker and busted his hand and knocked himself out for the year. So most people in Natstown think that there's a pretty good chance Drew isn't coming back. So do you want to trade him and trade Papelbon and completely rebuild your bullpen? Which maybe might be a good idea. I mean, their bullpen's been a disaster this year, but <laughs> just more of kind of food for thought. So... Uh, well, I, I, again, that's I think that's a great point. Is I, I've forgotten about that angle, but but you know why did that happen? Because clearly players are 
not happy with how they're being used, utilized, or, or um, you know, personnel decisions. And, and maybe Matt Williams is, is for fault to fault there in terms of his communication of roles, uh, but maybe it's at the management level. But, you know, if Storen's beef is with Matt Williams and how, how he handled the acquisition of Papelbon, maybe, again, Matt Williams leaves and it, it kind of soothes some of those uh, wounds from this year. Well, and unfortunately, it, you know, the manager makes a million bucks and these guys all make a lot more money and have a lot longer term <laughs> contracts. He doesn't have the same staying right. power. So maybe you can't fire yep. all the players or trade them all away. You can get rid of the right. manager pretty easily, though. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's it's going to be an interesting offseason in Washington. And I think you're going to have a lot to be writing about, Ryan. So yeah, it'll I'm, keep you busy. Yeah, I'm going to be really <laughs> busy writing about this team this offseason. I could have uh, a lot of departures going. So. <laughs> Uh, that actually might be a perfect... Do you guys have anything else? Because that might be a great place to segue and kind of jump on another topic. I'm good. Yeah, no, I think we covered that pretty thoroughly. All right, so Papelbon's a jerk. There we go. Covered it up. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, and Nick, and you had mentioned off the air before we got started and uh, that you wanted to talk some AL West. And I think that's a great topic. I've, I think I've been noticing but haven't been paying close enough attention to what's really going on out there so uh let me just give you the floor nick just al west yeah well it's um i mean you have three teams fighting for what seems to be two playoff spots the second wild card and then the division um houston won today so they seem to be in position to fight texas down to the bitter end for the title and it's just you know you have this young houston team who really got off to a hard, hot start, and it seemed to have been overperforming the entire year. Now, coming up against this Texas team that no one thought was going to be in it. You Darvish goes out in spring training. Um, even at the trade deadline, they picked up Cole Hamels, and most people thought, okay, that's a very good future-oriented move. Um, Cole's and Darvish in 2016 is going to be a great top of the rotation. But now, I mean, Texas is a real, you know, has a – they're up in the division. And then, of course, you can't forget about the Angels, who employ the best player in baseball. Um, side note, that was an amazing catch he had. I, I think it was Saturday night when he went and robbed the home run. Just another great defensive play. But, I mean, you, I mean, there's three teams, and you know, when you get three teams fighting for two playoff spots like that, you get a lot of crazy tiebreaker scenarios. Um, my favorite is the one that has Houston playing five games, five cities in five days. So <laughs> it's it's going to be a good end of the season, good to end up the season. And then, of course, you have the you know new twist this year with old game old game one sixty twos are going off at the same time. So you know one team won't know whether they have to win or lose based off the other's result because they'll be playing at the same time. So it's going to be a crazy final week, I think. Scott, what have you been seeing? I mean, I know you're an Oakland fan. I know they've had a tough year, but just your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think, I think Nick really nailed it that, I mean, this is – there aren't a lot of races to watch, but this is, is definitely a one to watch and, and has some, some permutations, like he was saying, where it can get very wild in a hurry. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think I think what's interesting is you you definitely have three teams in the Angels, the Rangers, and uh, the Astros that are at, at such different you know periods in their franchises you know ebb and flow uh, in the sense that you know I mean Houston has been just a doormat for so long, and the way they started off this season, it, it like I mean it's easy to talk about them as a contender now, but after the first month or two, like, nobody thought that was real. And right. uh, for them to have maintained it as long as they did, and and you know because you know they've certainly fallen off in the later parts of the season, and yet they're still very much in the hunt. Uh, I think that there's a lot of, I mean, I my my dog's out of the fight. The A's are are long since gone. Um, I would love to see a team like Houston make the postseason with as many young star players, like put them on that spotlight and see you know who can have some special moments there. Uh, I mean, I think that would be terrific. Texas doesn't excite me at all, uh, but they seem to be the obviously in the catbird seat up two and a half games with just a few left to play. Uh, and, and so, you know, they seem like they're pretty well uh, positioned to, to be in there. And they were one of those teams that like, nobody, you know, they were just, I don't know, I was writing them off at all times. Didn't yeah. matter, you know, you know, pre Cole Hamels, post Cole Hamels. They just, they just never seemed to, in my mind, be a team that was, worthy of contention and yet here they are and they've they've nearly punched their ticket um and then as far as the angels go um you know to me it's it's all about obviously mike trout i mean he's he's just been magical and i think the more we get a chance to to see him in the postseason uh the more we can appreciate what he's what he's done um you know i i don't get to watch a lot of uh, baseball particularly west coast games because i'm asleep by then (laughs) Uh, I'm, I got a, I got a six month old who's keeping me very tired at all times. And, uh, and, and so I don't get to, to watch that, but like to, to see a highlight, like what he, you know, what he pulled off the other night, uh, the, the home run robbing catch that Nick was talking about, or just to just see him, you know, grind out on a day by day basis and, and his speed, his power and everything that he's, he's brought and displayed for the last few years. Um, you want to see that in the, in the best light possible. And, uh, and obviously playoffs and maybe world series would be would be an opportunity so um well it's what, unfortunate it's unfortunate to me that it's probably going to be either the astros or the angels and that texas will get to go go through um from from a fan standpoint but uh but i, I gotta say i i think that that uh that houston just you know i know they won the last two against texas but but they you know they they are on the road for the last six i believe and um, they've been fading so so fast, and the Angels are, seem to be turning on just the right time. That I I, I don't think that um, that Houston's going to be able to hold on. Well, even building off your point, Scott, is if you said at the beginning of the season how was this division going to shake out, a lot of people would have said kind of inverse the standings: Oakland yep. leading, Seattle oh. coming in second, sure. you know, the Angels right there, and then probably Houston and Texas fighting out, you know, more towards the bottom half. Right. It's completely flipped around this year, and. You mentioned earlier in the show, you know, the young players, you know, hitting the ground running, and it Correa is just maybe he's the, he might be the best shortstop in the game right now. And <laughs> it's you know Machado yeah, up in Baltimore, it's, it's amazing, too low. I and, mean, a twenty-year-old shouldn't be able to come up in you know mid-June, and I think he's I think he's top five in WAR among all rookies, and of a lot of the rookies at the top of the list, he's I mean. He's got two months less games than some of them. It's, I mean, 
it's extraordinary what he's doing, and it's not getting the attention that it should be. And, and another player the same way, Albert Pujols. I mean, what a bounce-back season he's had. Nobody's talking about how good he's been, you know? <laughs> well, I think, um, I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's certainly made himself relevant again. Uh, I think I was reading some things on, on our site, as a matter of fact, that, that Pujols' power numbers are up, but the rest of, uh, the rest of his numbers are not quite as, as uh, compelling as, you know, he's, he's still in that, you know, decline phase of his career, but, but he's still a threat. You know, um, and and there was a while there where it looked like he was maybe not so threatening the last couple seasons. Um, and I, I mean, who wouldn't love to see him make make another run at it in the postseason? I think he's he's a shell of him, his former self, but he's still an intriguing player. Yeah, I mean, when he signed that ten year contract, most people thought that he was signing it to at least for the first part of it be the you know main offensive cog for the Angels. And now, I mean. He really just almost has to play a support role to Trout, just provide, you know, the second part of that tandem. And, I mean, you know, his production may not be what you would like to see if you're the Angels considering his contract. But, I mean, pairing him in the order with Mike Trout, that's, you know, that's a good start to the offense. That's a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm looking at the Texas you know, the lineup right now trying to figure out how they're getting this done, and it's still amazing to me. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Prince Fielder has a 127 OPS plus. He's having a nice bounce-back year. But, but he's 22 home runs. I mean, nothing, you know, just using superficial numbers, you know, sure. nothing crazy. Yeah, n- nothing that jumps off the page that says, oh, yeah, these guys are winning a division. I mean, Moreland's got nice nice numbers. Like I said, I'm just going down the list superficially. Right. You know, Beltre hasn't had a crazy year. You know, no, Jews. Beltre was stone cold for the first part of the season. I mean, was, I guess Odor, I mean, it was looking like he might be finally succumbing to you know the age curve a little bit. I mean, but he seems to have turned it on lately. Odor is the guy that we're not talking about, I guess. I mean, he's got uh, 44 extra base hits and 400 at-bats right now. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary and, from second and, base. And there it is, another, another young guy who, if I recall, was sent down earlier in the year because he was having such a terrible start. Um, and I think when he came back up, he, you know, kind of shifted into the player they they were hoping for. But there it is. It's it's another it's another team that's that's actually led by a young player. Um, yeah. As 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 are the other as are the other ones in that division. Yeah. No, all these young guys are making me you know wish I could still grab a bat, try to go out there. You know, but it's, I mean. It's in I like Ryan mentioned earlier, Seattle and Oakland, the two teams that are out of it. Everyone thought they'd be the two teams in this position, weak left, battling it out bitterly for the division title. So, yeah, I, I guess basically the whole thing we should take away from this is postseason. Per, I mean, preseason prediction predictions are pointless, and we should and we just shouldn't do them. So, <laughs> it, that's a great that's a great call. So let, let's who gets into the playoffs here and i'm looking right now minnesota's only it looks like a a game and a half back i mean they're not completely out of it either i mean this is pretty tight here so uh let's make a prediction here who who gets the final i'm assuming texas wins the division i'm gonna two and a half up with six or seven to play i'll make that who gets it houston los angeles or minnesota who gets the last wild card i'm gonna go with houston i just 
L.A., um, you know, um, Hudson Street, he's battling. Um, he left the game early yesterday. And I just – their rotation, I just don't get how their rotation's going to be good enough down the stretch here to keep him in it. And I guess I just um, – I'm betting on Correa and Altuve to continue to have their great seasons up the middle. Um, Dallas Kuchel, I think he's going to pitch one more time. So – and he's having a Cy Young caliber season. So I guess I just I'm gonna bet on the talent that Houston has shown they have in their young guys. Scott. Uh I I don't want this to happen, but I think the Angels uh surpass Houston. Um I if I recall I think their their schedule's a little more favorable. I know Houston's on the road for all six of their, their remaining games. Keichel just started today and won, but, uh, I mean, by the time he's up in the rotation again, uh, it may be a done deal. And and, uh, and also just kind of the trending right now, you know, obviously everything can turn on in, in a day, but the, the Angels seem to be playing some of their best baseball right now, and, and Houston is just kind of barely chugging along. The Twins, certainly, I mean... I, in in a perfect world, in my mind, everybody ties and we get chaos, and I think that would be really intriguing. But the Twins, for me, I know they they play the Indians, who are still hanging in there, um, you know, on the on the verge of elimination, but but not quite there yet. And I feel like that's going to be a tough series. So if they're beating each other up, I think it's it's tough for the Twins to stay in the hunt. And and I think beyond that, the Twins are just kind of doing a smoke and mirrors anyway. Um, but that's I don't know. I like I. To me, and I know, I know I, a number of, of analysts, and, and I think even one of the guests on on um, the Effectively Wild podcast was saying they they don't really understand how the Twins are doing it. And I think the teams that do that, uh, and you can we can call Texas the same way. Uh, teams that you look at their numbers, you look at their roster, and you're trying to figure out how it is that they've won the games that they've won. It. it that is what gives me hope that maybe there is a blind spot in higher analytics right now that, I mean, maybe it's, um, you know, team chemistry. I know that's something that teams are looking into now. But, you know, how, how can be. it be that they that just don't look so great and yet here they are in the final week of the season and they are scrapping it out with the teams that look so superior on paper. Um, but that was a long answer for what I thought was, Angels are going to overtake the Astros, and uh, and we'll miss out on some some pretty cool young talent on the Astros and, and Twins. But uh, hopefully, we get to see Mike Trout play well in the in the postseason. I'm calling baseball chaos. I'm going all yes. kind of a three way tie. We get all kinds of free baseball. Um, that would be beautiful. But I uh, yeah. Know. And the key, sorry, Ryan. Just the key thing about that is Irvin Santana can't pitch in the postseason for the Twins. But if I believe Jason Stark put in an article this week that from based on what he knows, Irvin Santana could start one a one game playoff for a playoff spot, but not the one game wild card playoff. So that would be something that would just be something interesting. Mm. I'm just betting on Trout. I think he has just some <laughs> kind of ridiculous six game, seven game week and just, you know, drives them to the playoffs, so Oh. All right, guys. Um, one last thing before we get out of here. Um, this week on, I think it was this week on the Effectively Wild podcast, 
Uh, I think it was a listener email show, but I, I, you know, all these shows tend to blend together, and I listen every day. So, cheap plug, go listen to them on Effectively Wild, Ben and Sam. Um, they were talking about uh, bullpen catchers, and Sam, I believe, if I have it correct, was saying that he thinks that's the greatest job maybe ever, if, if I remember. But certainly he was gushing that it was the best job in baseball. And uh, before we got on the air, Scott was saying that he had a great story about bullpen catchers. So um, I'm going to give the floor to Scott. Um, bullpen catcher story. Sure. So um, so uh, I, I played Division Three baseball in the Northeast in the Philadelphia area. And one of the players that I played against and later coached against when I started my coaching career um, – he and I got to know each other just kind of through the coaching ranks. He was trying to, to make it into professional baseball as a scout. And so we, we would keep in contact and I would see him from time to time. So he actually ended up getting a job out of college with the New York Mets. And he was working in their front office, you know, I think as a, an intern, you know, a paper pusher, just going in a gopher, getting coffee and things like that. Um, and he was trying to work his way into uh, general managing and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and in the middle of this is, yeah, I, I think 2005. Um, in the middle of the season, there was some sort of emergency with the Mets bullpen catcher, and um, I don't know if he got injured or or somehow he was removed from from duty for for a while, and they needed to to fill in. And it just so happened that this young man was a catcher in college. Now he wasn't a particularly good catcher. He was a <laughs> backup catcher on a pretty mediocre Division three baseball team, but. He had done, you know, he had uh, put on the tools of ignorance before, and so when the the franchise was kind of scrambling around to get somebody to the ballpark that day, he was like, "Hey, I I can catch, I I can do it," and so they took him up on that, and they said, "All right, great, you know, get down to the field, and take off your khakis, and and go in there." So again, I mean, he was just the, that idea is is so mind blowing, like, oh, "Wow, I get to go and and be a bullpen catcher." The problem was uh, he was not up to the task. So he goes into the bullpen, and I believe uh, Pedro Martinez was actually on the Mets at that time. And I think Pedro was warming up to, to, to pitch, and, and this guy could not catch the ball. Uh, there was too much. It was coming too fast, too much movement. It was just, I mean, it's Pedro Martinez. He's filthy. And so the Mets were in this quandary where anytime they tried to warm up a, a, a pitcher – the balls were just going everywhere. And, um, and it was the kind of thing where I, I, I actually tried looking up an article cause I, I seem to recall, I mean, this is 10 years ago now, but I seem to recall there even being a little, you know, blurb about it in one of the Philadelphia papers about, you know, um, how, or maybe it was one of the New York papers rather that, uh, you know, the Mets had this embarrassment of a bullpen catcher that was like causing delays of the game because, uh, you know, some fields have, uh, a bullpen out on the field, and I think that's where they were. They were on a, a field that had uh, oh, the bullpen no. was in play, and <laughs> balls were just constantly going in play in the middle of a game. So, dream job in general, yes, but I think for that young man, it was a nightmare. Um, it was a very short-lived gig, and he was quickly removed from that position. And uh, I think he was sent to to scout school instead. So, there's my short little anecdote about bullpen catching. So I guess when they were conjecturing that the number one skill in that job is being able to catch the baseball, they were right. Yes, <laughs> yes, you absolutely have to do that, and it is not easy. No, and I think we forget, you know, these guys are throwing at 95 with movement, yes. and their breaking ball moves two feet. I mean, yes. 
It's not, oh, it's not yeah, playing I mean, catch. If you're with, not you know, careful, even even the if you're not accustomed to catching that kind of velocity and that kind of movement, uh, even with the catcher's mitt, you can you can break your thumb pretty pretty easily by just catching the ball incorrectly. So it's uh, you know, there's there's some risk there, but I mean, sign me up for it. I'd I'd do it in a heartbeat, but uh, <laughs> it's not not as as easy as it may look. <laughs> That's amazing. Did he make a second game? Do you remember that? I, I don't. I don't think he did. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it was a one and done type scenario, and I, I'm sure they were probably scanning the the stands for anybody that looked like they might catch by about the, <laughs> the second time he he missed a ball. But uh, yeah. Oh wow, that's priceless! I don't even know how to how to go transition, talk, or do anything else after that. That's great. I just have uh, to transition to the ball zooming by him. Yeah, I mean, I guess I know now. I can't go to you know the Red Sox and just tell them, "Hey, I have one inning caught in Little League Baseball. Let me have the bullpen catcher gig." So. Yeah, that, that resume needs to get beefed up a little bit, I think. Yeah, no problem. I got Koji's change up. Let me get it. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. All right, guys. I think uh, maybe we'll stop it there. That might be a great place for us to uh, kind of stop for this week. Um, as we started the show, I'd love to give you kind of the same place to plug any uh, recent work you've done on the site where people can find you on Twitter anything you want to plug um we started with nick first so scott say goodbye to the audience well thanks again for having me i, I always enjoy doing these podcasts um again my my twitter is s l underscore kush k-u-s-h uh and my team twitter is c c baseball um and i unfortunately have not produced anything for the Banister of the Pen website uh, in, in recent months, but I, I certainly would like to, to get on that. I was thinking of doing the bullpen catching story, but since we just discussed it now, that saves me the trouble there. But, um, but hopefully I'll be able to get some work up there pretty soon. Just a cheap plug. I do think maybe something with the Matt Williams situation might be an interesting, particularly from your perspective, might be very interesting. I, I could go with that. All right, sounds good. Just an idea. Yeah, so. no, I like that. So, uh Nick, same thing. Say goodbye and uh, plug whatever you want to and need to plug. Yeah, well, um, it was nice getting to meet with you and chat with you, Scott. Ryan, pleasure as always. Um, Like Scott, I haven't been contributing too much lately. I did a lot of um, mid-season reviews and then kind of took a summer vacation. But um, I do plan to hopefully sometime this week, maybe into next week, depending on how my homework load gets um little something on you know it's been a busy week for the red sox front office and just um you know what do i think about that and how it corresponds to what should be one of the most fascinating off seasons around the league um in the meanwhile you can find me on twitter at k-o-s-s the boss three four and Man, looking forward to some great postseason baseball coming up here very soon. Can't wait. Well, Nick, we've got to have you on uh, this offseason because I'm sure we're going to be busy talking about the Red Sox, and they're, I have a feeling they're going to be very active this winter, so uh, we'll definitely have you back on to talk Red Sox for sure. Sounds great. Always love being on the show. Yeah, and we'd love having both you and Nick and you, Scott, as well. So um, I, I want to thank you guys for sharing some time on a Sunday night. Uh, you guys both really brought it as guests, and uh, – I'm a big fan of your work when, uh, you know, at Banish to the Pen and everything you guys produce. So 
thank you for joining me and uh, it was really a lot of fun talking to you thank you and that was my conversation with Banished to the Pen contributors Nick Koss and Scott Kushner. I want to thank both of them for joining me tonight, giving so much of their time, both tonight on a Sunday night to talk some baseball and also, you know, their work on the site. They do great work when they contribute. So thank you, guys. Uh, also, as I do each week, I want to give a big shout out and thank you and, and some, you know, respect to everybody who works so hard on the site, whether it's Ken, kind of our faithful leader, or all the writers, the contributors, the developers, the editors, just everybody that has a small part or a big part uh, with Banish to the Pen. Very proud of the work we do each week and each day, and uh, it's very difficult work. A lot of people work very, very long hours, and uh, you know nobody's really getting paid. So um, just thank you for all the hard work and the diligence and for the, uh, you know, the quality product we're putting out there. I am Ryan Sullivan at NatsGM.com on Twitter saying, be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>